0: We have all these folks who need jobs and better paying jobs, which, you know, construction and skilled trades are quality, good paying jobs. And we have all these projects and homes that need to be rehabbed. I think that, you know, it's not just the role of the developer, but it's certainly the role of the development community working with the city to create programs and training opportunities that are right-sized to to meet the needs of both the people and our landscape and our built environment. So I think that's one way that we can kind of start to think about that issue of getting like better, higher paying jobs and rebuilding our neighborhoods at the same time.
1: You're listening to Black Women Lead, a podcast elevating the stories, struggles, and accomplishments of Black women leading change in their communities. Welcome, everyone. I'm Christine Hadid with co-host Piper Carter. And today, we are welcoming a very outstanding Black women leader, Monique Becker. Monique is a Metro Detroit native and the co-founder and partner of Mona Lisa Developments. Uh, welcome, Monique. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for
0: having me. I'm excited to uh, to talk today.
1: Absolutely. Um, so you have uh, an interesting background, Monique, and um, I think I want to just start by letting people know a little bit more about what you do currently, and then we'll get a little bit more into the story of how you got into this position. So you, can you explain to us what exactly is Mona Lisa Development and what is its mission? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so uh, Mona Lisa Development is um, a family of companies, really, uh, socially responsible development firm. We also do project um, uh, property management, um, consulting. We're a licensed and insured general contractors. And yeah, we started um, a few years ago. I started with my best friend and business partner, Elise Wolf, um, really in response to kind of the the lack of mission-based work in for-profit development and wanting to really center our practice on creating opportunities for not only ourselves um, financially but also opportunities for our community whether that's providing affordable housing for creatives, other emerging entrepreneurs, like we do in our kind of residential developments, or that's providing um, job opportunities and subcontracting opportunities, working with other uh, construction firms in the city. We work with over 95% Black and Latino owned um, construction firms. And then also, you know, just making sure that, we're being good neighbors and our work is responding to a real community need, not uh, something that we've kind of derived that fits uh, a bottom line requirement, but that our, our work, our development work, which is, you know, all about housing, quality of life is really centered on meeting meeting a need. Um, and that's kind of what led our practice to to start in our own neighborhood, Virginia Park community. Um, and we're, you know, really, really deeply rooted um, in, in this area do tons of different things and are always super busy um, but you know really um yeah it's crazy to, to just think back to kind of where we started versus where we are now um really um proud of the of the growth that that we've had
1: that's awesome I'm gonna let um Piper ask a question but just real quick because you look so young how long have you guys been in business
0: Yeah, so um, yeah, I definitely have a baby face and my mom still gets uh, ID'd. Um, But we have been in business. um, So technically, um, kind of one of our companies, Mona Lisa Management, uh, has been in business for three years, but it's been about two years since we quit our other jobs and went full-time with uh, Mona Lisa Development. So
1: you were working at another job while you were growing this business and for about a year then before you were able to devote your full time to it?
0: Yeah. I mean, really probably, probably even a little bit longer than that. You know, it's kind of a, was a side hustle thing, like rehabbing homes on the weekends and in evenings. And then it just got to the point, like, you know, doing this work for others, we're doing this work for ourselves. There's only 24 hours in the day and the work that leaves us feeling energized rather than drained at the end of the day is really doing this, this work, you know, particularly in our community and under kind of our mission, collaborating with the folks and, and setting the, the tone and, and and culture of this work that, that fits us in our community, as opposed to kind of a very like corporate esque space that didn't, didn't jive with, with um you know, the, the way that, that we want to approach and the way that we think kind of, development and housing should be approached.
2: Yeah, that's great. Um, you you did speak a bit about how you got into the work, but can you just kind of outline it for us a bit more so we understand mm-hmm. a, bit, a bit better?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, an untraditional path for sure. Um, I actually, um, I feel like I first started to think about development in the built environment when I was a kid without fully understanding it or, or kind of being able to interpret like everything that I was taking in. Um, So I was born in the city, raised in the suburbs, was raised as an only child and was really close growing up to um, my mom's side of the family and my cousins who there's eight of them and I was the only child. So it would be like a couple days out of the week after school, like me and my mom driving down Telegraph road, um, you know, passing through Southfield, Redford, then, you know, turning left on Finkel to go to Brightmore, which is where my mom was uh, from and where my family was at. And just taking that drive and looking at the difference of, yeah, the shop's, the schools the homes and just like seeing that lack of investment that like deterioration like seeing more um litter and things um and just like it was always like very troubling to me as a kid because for me being in a mostly all-white community to then kind of and and seeing how how life was like quality of life was like there and then going and and you know Being with my family and just seeing kind of the the difference, it was to me like always very frustrating and it caused a lot of of stress because it just seemed very racist to me. Like race was the only bottom line um, in terms of that, like the aesthetic, like look of the neighborhoods and, and just the amount of like vacancies versus active spaces. And so I think that always um, kind of really st- stuck with me and like that, that injustice. Um, so I went to U of M, studied international studies in Spanish and was thinking I was going to do international human rights law. Um, but then, you know, just going through that, that kind of education and I'm like, no, I don't want to be this American with this like moral superiority overseas, like living out this mission of a government. And that's just like not my thing. So it um, ended up working out because then I was recruited for Teach for America. Um, and I have several teachers in my family and I felt like, oh, maybe this is kind of my calling and that I wasn't expecting that. But again, like I went to Birmingham Public School seeing my like educational outcomes versus like a lot of folks in my family who went to DPS. Um, so did TFA and I was very frustrated because I felt like a lot of the things that they were teaching us Um, were not being um, actualized in the schools. And I felt like I was, um, it was like a very draconian environment where I was like required as a teacher in this charter school to have my students like raise their hand like this a certain way. I can call on on them if it wasn't perfectly straight, walk in the hallway with their arms behind their backs and just all these things that I did not experience. And again, like mostly all white school, didn't have that experience, black school. And now it, it's like this like kind of oppressive repressive environment. Um, so I was like, okay, like th- this, isn't it, this isn't the way that I'm going to be able to kind of impact change in my hometown. And so, but like during that experience, kind of being a young educated professional living in the city, oh, like there's these restaurants opening and these cultural events and my, my family and my students and their families were still very disconnected from that. So I was just like, okay, what, what is like happening to the city? Like, what is this industry? Why are all of these things happening? And just kind of calling back on some of my like experience as a kid. Um, I reached out to mentors at U of M just like, okay, I want to learn more about this. I have no idea what to do. Um, so I got connected with Peter Allen He then taught um, a course at at Ross Business School about kind of the master's in um, real estate. And um, he had started a spinoff in Detroit for Detroiters, kind of a similar, but a bridge curriculum. So I ended up taking that class, which is, uh, you know, now building community value. And I took that class and um, did my project on the home that I now live in, which is a two family flat in Virginia Park community. One first place and then um, got connected with the platform, which is a development firm in the city. Worked there for a couple of years and that was just like my, my crash course into development. So I was working on like six different projects, new construction, rehab, kind of assisting in the project management, also um, doing some community engagement and, and also ended up helping them with the investor relations when they were building their capital fund. Um, so worked there for a couple of years, and then I was like, it's a lot of market rate work. I want to learn more about affordable work, so I worked for Shellborn Development for about a year on uh, kind of historic rehab projects, historic tax credits, and affordable affordable projects as well. Three years working for others, I'm like, it's been great. I've learned a lot, but again, that's not this isn't the way I want to impact change in real estate and community development in Detroit. Um, so, you know, it was time to take the risk, leave all of that behind, leave the salary and the security and, um, you know, take a leap of faith and, you know, go full-time with Mona Lisa development. That
1: is really incredible. And I was going to ask if you were a TFA core member, um, when I saw that you Mm -hmm. had, you had taught in Detroit schools, I actually am too. I'm a, um, 2017 greater Tulsa alumni. And I really connect with what you're saying about just the the strict environments and the way that some of the really great values that TFA has in the vision, just you you, you simply can't um, implement it really effectively in the way the system currently exists. And as much as I loved the students, I, I felt the same way. It was hard to have an impact that I wanted to have within that confined structure. And I kind of had a reverse experience where I was in property management um, too, but before I joined TFA. So I kind of did it a few years after, but I definitely, especially working in property management before you definitely see the relationship between real estate and education and how kind of that gentrification in housing policy and real estate um, translate into, you know, who goes to the community schools and how they're funded with property taxes. So I have a few follow-up questions. So coming from more of a market rate side of the real estate market, a lot of times when they talk about investing in communities, it sounds good, but it results in gentrification, where you have the existing population being kind of pushed out. How do you avoid that or approach that kind of conundrum in your work where you're investing in the communities, but as you're adding value, maybe it increases the rent rates more than what the existing
0: population
1: can afford or what's, how do you make those changes accessible and affordable to the people who already live there?
0: Yeah, no, great, great question. I think it comes down to ownership and then also opportunities for folks to make more money. So with ownership, like I'm steadfast that Black people in Detroit, communities of color like across the country need to own more land, their place where they live. Like if nothing else, you always have a roof over your head that isn't contingent on some big developer, or some wealthy investor buying tax credits. So for 15 years, you have this temporary solution. But then during that 15 years, it's, the system makes it very hard for you to kind of self, set yourself up to be able to, to get out of that, the, the need of that, to be dependent on that. So what that kind of focus on ownership looks like right now uh, with our work is an initiative that we've been working on for several months um, that we just kind of launched. We have a landing page up. We're going to put out a community flyer um, next week or community mailer next week uh, called Black Detroiters Rebuild Virginia Park Community. There is a very problematic deal right now that the city and the land bank um, cut with the New York City Uh, investor that grants him access to own not only the 10 historic commercial buildings, including a hospital, two schools, and some other stuff, but on top of that, gives him the first right of refusal to own basically all the land bank owned properties in the community. So that's 125 homes. That is 400 vacant lots. This agreement was made in 2015. The only work that's been done is boarding up homes. We lose homes to arson every year. People in the community have tried to purchase homes even before he came on. They said, no, you can't do it. It's not part of the side lot program. Oh, but then they go and create this whole new program for this investor. So what we are demanding is that the city and the land bank cancel that deal where he is granted um, right of first refusal to 125 homes in the vacant lots and instead reserve 80% of those homes for purchase by Black Detroiters. We are really focused on not just calling attention to the problem, which is which goes even beyond this community. It's not just a community grievance. You know, when you look at how land and urban planning government has been weaponized against Detroiters and Black Detroiters, you know, similar to many other states. And, you know, looking at the fact that Detroit used to have some of the highest rates of home ownership. Now we have some of the lowest We're one of the poorest cities We're the blackest major city, the way that most Americans, white Americans have gained generational wealth is through home ownership. And yet we continue to be denied those opportunities. So ownership for black Detroiters, working with banks, nonprofits, other community development practitioners to really kind of create a wraparound program. So, you know, that's one way that, and our work and leveraging our connections, our resources, our expertise in this field to be able to work in collaboration with our community. And so, you know, that's one thing I think is really important is, you know, that folks have that ownership, because then you're not beholden to, oh, a developer coming in, and then the, the developer tries to get the community on board. It's no, the community is able to live out their own kind of vision, mission, um, development goals. And then the other thing is obviously, you know, you can own homes, but if you're on a fixed income and your property taxes go up as, you know, values appreciate, then that's, you know, you still have a, a problem, obviously. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely more challenging for, for folks who are older and who may not um, be able to have opportunities to kind of increase their, their wages. But, you know, at least for folks who are able to work right now, there's a lot of homes in the city, a lot of vacant land in the city that needs love and attention and construction and development. But we don't have those skills as a city within our people to be able to do that work. And the training programs have been really focused on the big flashy projects and getting people on board for that. But that's like a, you know, multi-year before you can, are really ready to step foot onto a construction site. So instead we have all these folks who need jobs and better paying jobs, which, you know, construction and skilled trades are quality, good paying jobs. And we have all these projects and homes that need to be rehabbed. I think that, you know, it's not just the role of the developer but it's certainly the role of the development community working with the city to create programs and training opportunities that are right sized to to meet the needs of both the people and our landscape and our built environment so i think that's one way that we can kind of start to think about that issue of getting like better higher paying jobs is kind of think in rebuilding our neighborhoods at the same time is if we're able to train folks to to do this work themselves. Like I have been learning as I'm going, you know, it's something that I'm no construction expert, Elise, who's my business partner, she holds the license for our company. But it's real things that our people have been able to do over generations, you know, you kind of build your home, you build a place to live. And so that uh, knowledge is really um, kind of easily accessible. Um, But you know, I think, as far as kind of like the, the larger question of you know, taxes going up and people not being able to afford the cost of living, um, I don't have the answer for that right now. But it's, it's definitely, again, like I put the onus on the government to work with the private sector experts to kind of really address this issue. You know, maybe there's a separate fund that needs to be created that supports people. Maybe once you've been in this community for so long, you have like a, you know, a cap on your taxes or, you know, there, there are certain things that the government can put in place if it wants to, if it's innovative enough um, to be able to uh, meet some of those, um, you know, come up with solutions for some of those challenges. Um, you know, there's things like community land trusts, which, which help to put a cap on kind of taxes and things so people aren't displaced. And community land trusts have a, a good track record of reducing displacement. The challenge is kind of the time that it takes to set one up and the expertise of knowing how to set one up. It's like establishing a whole nonprofit. Um, and so it's a multi-year process that re- involves some certain certain knowledge. But there are folks in, the, in Detroit that are working on that now, particularly in the North End. They're really uh, kind of organized and have been um, working together to kind of establish some of those. But, you know, it's a really all hands on deck, like, you know, community, government, for profit, nonprofit, everyone working towards a common goal and kind of making compromise compromises and and sacrifices that that we need to make in order to protect our people.
2: Wow. This is first I just want to say thank you. Um, and you've done so much. Um. I'm wondering if you can think about anything that you've done that you would say you're pretty proud of or an accomplishment or, you know, can you speak to something that you want to share with us?
0: Yeah, I do do so much. (laughs) I'm like, why are you doing all these things sometimes? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I'm most proud of really is starting Mona Lisa development and kind of proving that there's another way to do things, that there's kind of a, a different approach that does work for for-profit companies. And uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm definitely proud of that, especially proud of the work with Black Detroiters Rebuild Virginia Park community. I feel very honored and privileged to be able to work alongside so many community elders and activists who have been doing this work for decades living in this community for generations and you know i just feel very you know happy that we've been able to get to this point where we can articulate all the 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 problems that are happening and communicate them to the powers that be in in this format because i feel like this format and the more that we raise awareness and the more that we share with media and just kind of get the word out we're helping to um, kind of balance out some of those like disparate power dynamics that exist because, you know, my neighbors every week, all these city council meetings, all this time, you know, spending, talking to city council people, talking to this city representative, that city representative, and just falling on deaf ears, like falling on on, on nothing. There's been no response. Folks are not being heard. And so it feels really amazing for all of us to be at this point where we don't have a full website, but we have a landing page where we haven't sent the postcard out yet, but the design is basically finalized. So we will send that out and get it to 4000 addresses. And and really, you know, we started working on this, you know, in 2020 and it's been like several months. And so, you know, really, really happy that that we're at this point now and can can start to to broaden the conversation and, and, and be heard by, you know, folks who have refuse to, to hear us or, or have been unable to kind of connect with the work that we're doing.
1: I wonder if we can get even a little bit more granular, because <clears throat> when I'm hearing your story, you're, you're a visionary and you have a really good kind of bird's eye perspective of the way all these puzzle pieces fit together to affect community development. And it sounds like you've kind of been a visionary from the beginning, but when I hear how you, you know, started out studying internet, was it international policy, international relations? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you kind of pivoted from that when you realized it wasn't really what you wanted to do. And then um, been on this journey, getting more into the development side and, saw the market side and realized that's not really what you wanted to do. Seeing where you've gotten to today, I'm sure makes it look a lot easier than it was. Does any specific hurdle stand out in your mind where you were just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm gonna get to the next step. This just feels too big. I know that there's an issue here, but I don't really have the background or experience. Like, what can you describe one of those moments and what it is for you that's made you able to push through despite your lack of connections or, or intimate knowledge about how this whole complex industry works?
0: Yeah, no, great, great question. Um, And I mean, just thinking back to when I first started, I felt like a fish out of water like math was never my strong thing. I didn't even know that real estate development was a career or like a industry. Like I never really thought about it. So when I first started at the first firm I was at, it was just everything was was so new, um, you know, in construction and development. It's a very white male dominated field. I looked even younger then than I do now and just being the only person of color at the table, the only woman, i definitely had to work through like feeling very small and i think the way that i was able to, you know, to to do that was just like from a community of support um you know realizing that just like development it's a team sport like you you know you have big teams of, you know, folks internally. And then you also have, you know, your architect, your contractor, your civil engineer, there's just all these different players that are involved to to make one project come to life. It's like, for me, I feel like in order to do the work that I'm doing and kind of carry on, it's just like all these different people that I have to call on as well for support. And so, you know, definitely had a lot of conversations with mentors other Black women who work in the industry, maybe kind of like from a financial perspective um, or on like the financing side of things, and just being able to kind of share those challenges um, was, was helpful. But then also, you know, I think I was able to push on when I realized that this isn't the only way, this isn't the only space, this isn't the only place where you t- can do this work and knowing like, okay, great learning experience, very thankful for the opportunity, but now it's time to transition into something that, that works better for me. So kind of calling on those people to support me when I felt like I didn't know what I was doing or I wasn't in the right place or that imposter syndrome, but then also recognizing when another opportunity arose that it was okay for me To transition onto something that I thought would be um, more productive, healthier, you know, all around for me, and you know, I think something about development too, and that I think we don't realize, and I think sometimes developers or even community members may not fully appreciate the fact that like we're all experts in this. Like we all live in a house or in an apartment, we all um, you know exist in a community. So there's a lot of like decisions that are made or knowledge that we carry that you don't need to go to school to do, but you can learn it on the job or you kind of make those certain connections and um, just kind of being confident in, in that and recognizing that even though I don't have a master's in this, or I'm not technically trained in these skills, like I know how to work with people. I understand what I need in a, in a place I call home to feel comfortable, safe and secure. I understand where my pockets are at as an entrepreneur in Detroit. Like, how do we how do we build spaces and like create places that can can be accessible for, for folks? Um, and I think that kind of on the ground expertise um, is something that a lot of developers that are, that do have a master's or do have this certain expertise that they don't know. And so kind of, I, it felt, you know, the more and more that I had these conversations and um, the more and more that I began to kind of like speak up, um, I realized like, oh, you do know more than you think you do. And um, you don't necessarily need to seek the like external validation from people who especially have no idea what it's like to be in your shoes or to be in the shoes of of other folks. And so I think that really helped me to to get over those like initial hurdles, but still just development as a team sport, life as a team sport, and like really knowing when I I need extra support and like, how how can I, where do I go to get that? And I think, you know, one of the places that I'm at now is just understanding, okay, you're doing all of this work and things that you're passionate about. But in order to be able to continue that, you also have to rest, and you have to care for yourself. And so I am beginning to, to learn and deepen my self care practice. So that's my that's my next journey in order to be able to continue to do this, this type of work.
2: Yeah. And you know, like I say, you do so much. And you've told us like all of these interesting aspects of yourself. So what I'm wondering is what does leveling up look like for you? Like how can all that you do be taken to the next level? And I'm going to say with that, what support would you say that you seek and something that you don't currently have, or it could be more of what you already have, you know, or some of all of that.
0: Yeah, no, leveling up, I think less client work, more acting as the developer on our own projects. You know, I feel like sometimes and I I love what I do and I am so appreciative that the client work that we do which is with um like larger community development corporations or for-profit developers, project management, some community engagement, um kind of activation planning. I'm very thankful because I'm able to Learn, build relationships, and grow expertise on a scale that I wouldn't be able to participate in otherwise. But you know, sometimes it feels like I have six different bosses <laughs> instead of just one, and I'm sure a lot of other folks who kind of do consulting um, can can empathize with that. You know, so I think leveling up for me is beginning to kind of transition over the next couple of years from um you know the business being dependent on that source of revenue to being able to understand and learn this is a skill that and something we've never done before kind of putting together an investment fund going to seek out capital being able to raise money so that we can act as a developer and kind of carry out some of the like larger ideas and projects you know that that we'd like to do or, or have a vision for because you know the the way that we've been doing things so far. And we just got our first construction loan, which was huge. It only took seven months to close, which was a whole nother thing. But you know, is like working, making money, putting that money into rehabbing these homes. And these homes are 100 years old. They're like 3,500 square feet. So it's a very cash intensive project, but kind of transforming that mindset, which kind of like, you know, a hustle, like we're just doing what we need to do to get things done to really, okay, let's like back up, let's figure out what we want to do, what we can do in a year and understanding different ways of getting that money besides us working all of those hours. And so, you know, leveling up is definitely going back to the mentors and understanding, okay, how do we, we're at this phase now, how do you start to ask people for money? And like, that feels kind of weird, you know, like I'm used to asking banks for money and getting told no a lot, and then you keep going, well, what does it look like? And what does it mean for your business to be able to take on investors?
2: And so just um, just to put it in the universe, In terms of investors, where now, like if someone's listening, where now can, you know, folks invest?
0: Well, I would first direct folks to Black Detroiters Rebuild, Virginia Park community, www.bdrebuild.com. It is going to take a lot of capital to rehab those 125 homes. We'd love for those homes to go to homeowners or um, small scale developers um, in the city. And so I think that that would be the the first place, Um, you know, that's also it's in my community. So it's really important for me personally and for Mona Lisa development that that project is successful. It will only happen if we have financial partners like banks and then also investors who can can help to support some equity contributions um, that um, homeowners or kind of purchasers may need. Um, and yes, yeah, so I would say that that would be the, the first one. I think in terms of us taking on investors for Mona Lisa, um, we probably need to identify another project. <laughs> we need to come up with the, you know, business plan pro forma for all of that. Um, have tons of ideas. Like I can't keep the ideas, you know, I, I can't stop the ideas or just I get so many of them. Um, but just understanding like what that investment is vehicle is, and I think we would have to establish a fund or something. Um, so if there's people listening right now, you know, visit our website, uh, Development.com or us on Instagram at monalisadevelops, and just ping us if you have any advice or, or want to uh, give us um, kind of your, your thoughts on it. Um, would definitely love, love any, any suggestions.
2: And I don't know if Christine has other, another question. No, I
1: think I'm just really inspired by all that you're doing right now. And especially um, even more than what you're doing is the, the attitude and determination that is driving you to just kind of plow forward and not take no for an answer and not take, you know, the lack of representation as a closed door, you know, and we we haven't really gotten into all of those kinds of systemic and racial and gender barriers you touched on it a little bit but just imagining you know i'm sure you probably encounter stuff like that all the time it's really incredible and inspirational and i imagine people listening um, in cities all over the country it's, it's making them think about how they can take that kind of approach and mindset to find opportunities in their communities to, to be more proactive about um, development in this way. So definitely rooting, whatever it takes for you to level up and get this kind of knowledge out there and scale th- this kind of vision. I, I hope and believe that people listening to your story will be invested in your continued success and, of course... We, you know, black women lead exists for that purpose. Um, we're just really grateful to have you here with us today and sharing your story. really excited to share your story with everyone. So thank you so much for doing that and for all of the work that you do on behalf of Detroiters and black people and people of color everywhere who you're an inspiration to.
0: Thank you, yeah, it's been um, really a pleasure to to be able to share things, and you know a lot of times like we we do all of this work and then you, you never kind of have those moments to reflect. Um, so this was very timely for me. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to reflect and, and share. Um, and, you know, I, I think just kind of like, want to end on like the importance of coalition. It's a team sport and like, you know, everything that I'm doing would is only possible because I work with so many amazing people that help to support me. They proofread things. They take this meeting. They like lead this certain aspect of the work. Um, and I was just on a call earlier with some, some folks in Arizona and they're kind of, you know, saying folks in Detroit seem so organized, like, how do we kind of get to, to be at that place? And, and really it is because I think in Detroit, we know how to work together as a community. Um, sometimes we are not always, um, heard as a community but kind of that's that's the first step is kind of getting together understanding what those needs are and really getting that core group of people to help help carry the work um forward so thank you awesome thank that's
1: you a too. great message to close out on thank you so much monique
2: yeah and i mean i i also just want to echo everything that you've said christine i mean you've just filled this up and um you know, you said, oh, you know, like so long, but two years is actually a really just a short time, especially in Mm -hmm. development. So um, just much gratitude to you again for your work and your brilliance and your tenacity Mm -hmm. um, and just continuing. Mm -hmm. So, and before we go, just give one more time, you gave your website and your um, social media, but just give it to us Uh, you know, really succinct so people can hear it again. You can find out more about Mona Lisa Development at
0: www.monalisadevelopment.com. We're on Instagram at Mona Lisa Develops. And please check out Black Detroiters Rebuild Virginia Park Community at www.bdrebuild.com.
1: And we'll make sure those get added to our show notes and website too when we post this. Perfect.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. And we just want to let everyone know to support Black women, listen to Black women, and follow Black women, because Black women lead. And to learn more about our outstanding Black women leaders and how you can support all of their work, go to blackwomenleadus.com. Thank you for listening. And thank you again, Monique. Thank you,
0: ladies. It's been a treat.
2: Learn more about
1: outstanding Black women leaders and how you can support their work at blackwomenleadus.com.